passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. If you're a guest with us this morning because of the holiday, it is great to have you. Uh, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And at Crosswinds, we are all about one mission, which is reaching people with Jesus Christ. Uh, that's our heartbeat. We care about those who do not know God. We want to reach them in our community and reach them around the world. Well, one of the ways we did that for the last 10 years, one of our focuses was on opening uh, the Spencer campus, which is Crossman's Church in Spencer. We're connected. We're a multi-site church. We're very grateful that God allowed us to be able to open that and be able to build the facilities this past year. They're completed. They're paid in fill. Uh, the Spencer campus is doing extremely well. The elders at this point would like to return to a project that we put on hold 10 years ago when it came time to focus on reaching our community in the Spencer campus. And that is mainly updating this worship space. So the elders have launched a capital campaign where our goal is $110,000, of which we've already received $18,000 toward that goal. That money will be used to change the pews that you're sitting in to chairs, and I'm going to finish repainting this room and change out these house lives, you know, house lights, the ones that have those old, like, 500-watt bulb kind of deal, you know, those kind of things you've seen the 1980s, and actually go with LED lighting in here, as well as be able to put up a garage on the side of the gym. And so that's what our goal is. Uh, we'd ask you if, you, if the Lord leads you, to give towards that goal. If you write a check, just make sure you put in the memo line, capital fund, and you can put the checks on the offering boxes to the left or the right of these main doors. Or if you use the church app to give, which by the way, most of the people on both campuses give using the church app. You can find that church app on the back of your bulletin. You can scan a QR code and download it and give there and then designate the, the capital fund. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our series called Taming the Tongue. And in this series, we've been looking at our language and what does the Bible say about the way we speak? And in previous weeks in this series, we've looked at the power of our words. We've looked at the importance of the truthfulness of our words. We've looked at recently uh, about grumbling. None of us struggle with that, do we? Grumbling. And then we also looked at gossip and slander, which is something I know all of us struggle with as well. If you missed any of those messages, I'd encourage you, get on the crosswinds.tv website, take some time when you're on a car ride or something to listen to them, or if you have the church app, you can grab any of those messages and listen to them while you're in the car. They'll be helpful for you. This morning, as we continue in this series, we're going to look at words that come out of a prideful heart, and a heart with a big and inflated ego. It's called words of boasting, flattery, and exaggeration, which I know none of us in this room ever struggle with. I think we all struggle with these kind of things. Now, as soon as I talk about the idea of pride, whenever I bring that topic up, and I say, hey, we want to make sure we focus on developing humility. We want to make sure we don't lean into pride and becoming prideful people. Whenever I talk about that topic, there's always one or two people that come up to me after the service and they say, Pastor, I sort of misunderstand what you're saying. 
I get the idea that we want to be humble people, but pride and that we shouldn't have, shouldn't be prideful people. I don't get it. I mean, shouldn't we take pride in our work and do our best? Shouldn't we take pride in how we look? Shouldn't we shave, shower, and wear deodorant? Well, by the way, your spouse would appreciate if you do. And when you talk about pride that way, in its most basic sense, yes, of course, we should take pride in our work. We should do our best for our employer and for Jesus. Uh, we should take pride in how we look, not in an egocentric way, but we should look presentable. We should look acceptable to other people. So pride in a basic sense is good, but you and I know that pride doesn't stay in that nice, manageable, comfortable size, does it? It continues to swell. It always gets bigger. It's like a cancerous tumor in our lives. And before you know it, pride starts to take over our lives. It becomes the dominant center of our lives. And everybody around us knows it because they say that person has a big, huge ego. They see it, but oftentimes we don't see it. Now, as soon as we talk about big egos, excuse me, I'm up. I'm going to sneeze one of those days. As soon as we talk about big egos, people come to our mind and we think, oh yeah, I know people like that. Thankfully, I'm not like that. Uh, really? I think all of us sometimes struggle with pride. If you turn to the top of your outline, I have a little quiz for you here. How can I recognize an overinflated ego? Here's some ways. Point A, an overinflated ego begins 75% of their conversations with I, people with a big ego, love to talk about themselves. They are their own favorite topic of conversation. The next one is this. An overinflated ego hijacks a group conversation and makes it about themselves. You ever been around those kind of conversations? You're having a nice group conversation. Once that person comes into that circle, it's all of a sudden all about them. Here's another one. An overinflated ego interrupts people and answers their questions instead of waiting for others to speak. Here's another one. An overinflated ego loves to criticize. They love to talk about what's wrong with everybody else, but they never talk about what might be wrong with themselves. Ever seen that before? And lastly, an overinflated ego won't admit they're wrong or acknowledge when someone else is right. Well, as we went through that list, did you find yourself checking any of those boxes? I know I found, found my life checking some of those boxes and that sometimes I can be a prideful person, just like sometimes any of us can be a prideful person and have an overinflated ego. But the question is, how do we get that pride under control? How does it go back to that manageable size? How do we become humble people? If I told you, well, you just have to make yourself more humble. Try harder to be humble. That won't work. You know why? Because if you say, I'm just going to try harder to be humble, then you're going to become proud of your humility. Spurgeon had a, a, a sermon on this where he talked, sort of a satirical title. He titled the sermon, Humility and How I Achieved It. <laughs> the only way 
that our egos go down to a manageable size and that we actually truly become humble people and godly people in this life is through the word of God. It's by putting your finger in the text and seeing what the Bible says is the truth about the sin in our lives, that we're addicted to our sin. We can't turn away from our sin on our own strength and power. It, the Bible says that in addition, our guilt of our sin remains. There's nothing we can do to shake it. That the truth is we deserve the lake of fire. That is what is just for us. That is what is fair for us. But there's more good news when we keep reading God's word. The good news is God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his own son to take on a human body forever, to die in your place for your sin. When Jesus hung on that cross, an eternity of God's wrath was poured on him when he absorbed all of the sin of your life into himself, when he died for you. The one who has the right to be the most proud person, that's Jesus, because he created everything, was the most humble person because he died in your place for you. It's when we read that in the scripture and we trust in Jesus to save our life, which we cannot do for ourselves. We can only receive it as a gift. That is when true humility begins. And that is when the big ego in our life starts to deflate because it's not about me. It's all about Jesus at that point. Amen? Amen. The Bible says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So boasting, flattering, and exaggeration in our speech, it comes from an, a prideful heart, an overinflated ego, and the only way for that to become under control is to fall on our face in front of God and trust in Jesus. Now, what does the Bible say about these speech patterns of boasting, flattering, and exaggeration? Let's begin with boasting. Boasting is focusing on ourselves and our accomplishments. Boasting is very popular. It's what people like to do at parties. They love to talk about themselves. As I was preparing for this message, I saw a study. It was interesting. It talked about how people like to boast more than they like money. The study was they would give people money if in a party situation they would agree to talk about somebody else instead of themselves. One in four people skipped the money because they wanted to talk about themselves more. That shows you how much people like to talk about themselves. And on the surface, that doesn't necessarily seem like a bad thing. Remember when my, my boys were young, uh, we used to be a wrestling family, and we would go to those wrestling tournaments with the kids were at. And so the kids would win these little tiny medals. You know how the kids get on the, the little gold medals as a six-year-old. They're walking around so proud of themselves. And they say, Dad, can we bring it to church the next day? And I'd say, sure. So they'd bring this little gold medal to church around their neck, and they'd come up to the older folks who would lean over and, 
now tell us about your sports. And it was a really fun thing. This, and they were so proud of that. But it's one thing when it's a six-year-old that's talking about the fun they had at a wrestling match. It's another thing when it's a 26-year-old that all of a sudden is always talking about themselves and how great they are. That's called social suicide, isn't it? Because natural give and take of conversation is we have to be interested in others, not just ourselves. Another thing about boasting. Boasting destroys the purpose for which God saved us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. Our lives are not primarily about us and about what we do. Our lives are about Jesus and what he has done for us. What he has done for us is far more significant than anything that is done or can be done by us. And when all we're spending our time boasting and talking about us and our accomplishments, we've thwarted the very purpose for which God saved us, which is so we could talk about the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Another point, uh, boasting is putting ourselves in front of other people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Paul says the motivation in life, the goal in our life, is not selfish ambition. It's not, life is not about making ourselves bigger. Life is about making Jesus bigger. Amen? Now, I don't know who you are. I don't know what God may have given you. He may have given you wealth. He may have given you fame. He may have given you a position of relative importance and and power in this world. I don't know what you have, but I do know this. Whatever things God has given you, it's not so you can make yourself bigger. He's given you those platforms so you can make him bigger. And as we learned earlier, when we use whatever gifts God's given us to bring all the focus and attention to ourselves, we're destroying the very purpose for which God has saved us in the first place. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I love this point because it is incredibly practical. When we are in conversations with other people, in those conversations, are we talking about ourselves Or are we genuinely interested in the other person and what is going on in their life? Don't just look to your own interests. That's pretty natural. Look to the interests of others, how we can serve them, not how we can get them to serve us. These last two verses are found in the second chapter of Philippians. If you're familiar with that second chapter, Philippians chapter 2 is all about Jesus 
and the incredible humility of Jesus and that he is our example to follow. Jesus didn't look out just for his interests. Jesus put our desperate need and our interests in front of our own. I mean, Jesus is the one who created everything, according to the first chapter of Hebrews in the book of Colossians. And he's hanging out with God the Father, which, by the way, is a pretty cool place to hang out. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the guy you want to hang with, right? Yet, Jesus knew of our need he knew that we deserve the lake of fire. And unless he stepped in and did something, there is no hope for us. We cannot save ourselves at all. So Jesus put our interests and our needs in front of his own. When he took on flesh, when he died on that cross for you and for me, the greatest amount of suffering and agony to ever be experienced in all of history, in all of the universe, Jesus experienced for it for you and for me to save us. And if Jesus can go through all that to save me, I think a simple response is when I'm in a conversation with others, I can put my interest aside to be concerned about you, to be concerned about somebody else. Put someone else's interest in front of our own. Another point about boasting. Boasting is actually claiming I am good when the truth is only God is good. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability, notice that, not the ability to carry it out. I don't know what kind of news apps you use. Maybe you're a Fox News person. You're, you're a CNN person. I don't know what it is. It really doesn't matter. But when you look on the news, they always have these stories of these hooligans, these nut jobs, don't they? Some kind of mass murderer, some kind of guy who's doing some really dumb stuff. And you and I look at it, you go, man, thankfully I'm not like that. Folks, the truth is, if it was not for the grace of God to us, you and I would be exactly like that or even worse. Nothing good dwells in us. Nothing good at all. Any good thing you have in this life right now, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's your job, whether it's your health, you and I owe God a whole ton of gratitude because it all comes from him. Even the peace we have in this country is a gift from God. You could be in Ukraine right now with bombs falling on your head. You could be in the Russian military right now with Ukrainians drop, drones dropping grenades on you. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. But right now, God is the one who's given us peace. God is the one who's protected us from those kind of situations. God, you get all the glory for that. We don't get all the glory for that. Nothing good dwells in us. You are the giver of every good gift. Uh, another thing to tell you about is that some of you know that uh, as elders, we're in something called Iron Man groups. And you wonder, like, what's Iron Man? You guys are old. Shouldn't it be Rusty Man groups? No. 
Uh, we just base that out of Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And what we do is we hold each other accountable to memorizing one verse of Scripture, as long or as short as you want, a week of our own choosing. And so we get together, like hold each other accountable to that verse, say it to our, to our team, and then we, hey, what's going on in your life? And we pray for one another. And recently, one of my verses was John 15.8, which I put in your bulletin. It says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I was reading through the Gospel of John, and my personal Bible reading ran across that, highlighted it, said, that's a good one. I can bring honor and glory to God by trying to bear fruit in my life. That's good. I want to think about that. I want to remember it. But whenever you have a verse like that, you always want to read it in context, not apart from context, because context is what determines the meaning. If you go just a little bit before that, there's some important things to know. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. The only way that I can bear any fruit in my life, the only way you can bear fruit in your life is if you and I are in a living relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. And if we aren't, it doesn't matter what we do. Nothing of eternal value is ultimately taking place. I mean, you could be Elon Musk. You could be making electric cars. You could be doing space flights. You could be planning trips to Mars. But if you are not in a living relationship with God through Jesus, nothing of eternal value will happen. But ordinary people, just like you and me, if we're in that relationship with Jesus Christ, God will be doing things through your life, through my life, that will make an eternal, lasting difference for Christ and his kingdom in this world. That's exciting. You say, well, that's pretty cool. How, how do I stay in a living relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus? It's real simple. Folks, read your Bible. Keep your finger in the text. You'll always hear that at Crosswinds. What's your Bible reading plan? If you don't have one, start one. Maybe just take one chapter a day. You don't even have to necessarily say my goal is seven days a week. Maybe it's just four days a week. Four chapters a week, I want to make sure I'm reading. And I'm reading and I'm concentrating. And then pray, talk to God. God, what in this chapter stuck out to me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to say to me? He will. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will highlight verses in God's word and apply them to your heart and life. Just what you need to hear. Be a part of the church. Be regular among other Christians. They help you grow. And you help them grow. That's part of what it means to be in that living relationship with God. And I guarantee you, God will use you to bear fruit in this world, making an eternal difference for his kingdom. The next one, boasting is promising what I can't deliver. James chapter 4, come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? 
you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. This is a very subtle form of boasting that I know I have been guilty of. And I think all of us have been guilty of. When we talk about our plans for the future, we talk about our plans and then we don't ever make God part of those plans. How many of you went to college and you said, hey, my plan is I'm going to do these four years. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to do this with my life. You have it all laid out. Did it work? Probably not, right? I mean, you said, well, this is my job. I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to get this promotion, and then I'm going to get this position. Didn't happen. Then how many of you had those plans for saving for retirement? How well did that work until the economy went different directions than we all expected? What the Bible says is when we talk about the future, we should always say, this is what I'm planning if God wills. And it's acknowledging the fact that we don't hold the future. God is the one who holds the future in his hand. And when we leave that little phrase out, it's because there's actually a little pride in our heart, failing to acknowledge God as the only one who can help our plans become reality and can make plans reality. I'll give you another example. When we fail to pray before our meals, Sometimes that's also a subtle form of boasting. You say, how is that boasting? When we pray for our food, isn't it a time to stop and pause and thank God for giving us our food? Many times we take our meals for granted, but I want you to know, right now, if you're in the Sudan, you may not have a meal. If you're in different parts of Ukraine, there may not be food. You'd be hungry. There's countless places in Africa and around the world where they do not have a meal. And if you and I have a meal, and it's actually a really good one, you know who that's a gift from? It's a gift from God. It's the goodness of our Father poured out on us, giving us grace that we do not deserve. And we fail to pause and thank God for his goodness. It's a little bit like acting as if we're the one who provides the food. Rather than the truth is, God is the one who provides the food. When it comes to this uh, subtle boasting, acting as if we control the future, when we don't control the future, there's a famous um, little bit of boasting in that way that was done by a guy named Jack LaLanne. And if you're younger, you're like, Jack LaHoo? The older folks, we know Jack LaLanne, right? Hollywood fitness guru guy. He really was a pretty much a stud ahead of his time. I'll give you some of the things he did. Age 45, did 1,000 push-ups and 1,000 pull-ups in one and a half hours. Then at age 70, he swam one mile, towing 70 boats with a rope in his mouth. And by the way, he had his hands... Uh, handcuffed together while doing that, and his feet shackled together while swimming the one mile, pulling those 70 boats. 
Then he gets to age 95, and he made this quip a number of times in some different interviews I found. He said, well, I'm going to live forever. I'm in such good shape. <laughs> I wouldn't have said that. Let me show you in the video. In 1956, at the age of 42, he set a world record, knocking off more than 1,000 push-ups in 23 minutes. At 60, handcuffed and shackled, he towed a 1,000-pound boat from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. At 70, he played the human barge again. At 95, he joked, I can't afford to die, wreck my image. On Sunday, with wife Elaine at his side, he passed away from respiratory failure. Dead at the age of 96. Sorry, got cut off apparently. But shortly after that interview, contracted pneumonia and died rather quickly. Who holds the future in his hands? I mean, God holds the future in our hands. It really doesn't matter wh what good shape you're in, doesn't matter how many vitamins you take, every single breath you and I take is a gift from God, and that's where it comes from. That's why Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. The next point. Boasting is stealing. Stealing glory that belongs to God. Sometimes people take credit for work that is not their own. In the academic world, that is known as plagiarism. And if you've been in college and you've plagiarized material and they've caught you plagiarizing someone else's work, uh, they generally ferry you in the class because they take plagiarism so seriously. But plagiarism is not just in the academic world, it's actually in the music world. How many of you have heard of the Beach Boys song, Surf in USA? Okay. I figured everybody did. Do you know that's not an original? It's actually originally written by Chuck Berry. It was entitled Sweet Little Sixteen. But they borrowed it, should we say? <laughs> borrowed it, plagiarized it, and used it. In fact, the truth is what happened is Chuck Berry is now credited as one of the authors of the songs, not the Beach Boys, and he's actually given royalties for the song, not just the Beach Boys, because it was a copy of his song. Well, if you and I are offended when we find people taking credit for work that is not theirs, whether that's in the academic world or that's in the music world, how do you think God feels if we start taking credit for the good things in our life when really God is the one who is the source of all the good things in our life? I'll give you an example of this from Judges chapter 7 when it comes to Gideon. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Remember the context? Israel is going to go into battle against the Midianites. Israelites have a pretty good sized army. And God knows that if they go into the battle and he gives them victory in the battle, the Israelites are going to walk away. We are cool. We are cool. We beat the Midianites. And give themselves all the credit when God is the one who deserves it all. So God had this little plan. He whittled them down to about 300 people. 
And if you study that text, which you probably will do later this summer, you'll learn it's the 300 most incompetent people in the Israelite army, not the 300 best people in the Israelite army that um, God gives to Gideon. And with those 300 incompetent people, God gives them victory. So at that point, it's very obvious who all the credit goes to. It goes to God, not to them. Did you ever wonder why God sometimes brings you to the edge of things before answering your prayers or coming to the rescue? Like maybe you're looking for a job and you're desperate. You've applied, you've looked, you've searched, you find, and you're gone. You go from just praying once or twice about it to God, to eventually you're on your knees with your face in the couch, calling God desperately. You've, you've got to bring a job. I need to feed my family. And then at the last minute, all of a sudden, this perfect job shows up, and you're able to get it, and you're able to provide. You know why God does those things? So we actually get to the point where we're calling out to him, and we see that he is the one who is providing for us. We're not the ones providing for ourselves. If he, gave those, if he gave you that job the very first moment you needed it, you'd think it was all about your ability and your strength. When the reality is it's God's gift in your life. One other thing about boasting, realize that God made our salvation possible. He made it possible in a way that there's absolutely no way we can boast. The only thing we contribute to the salvation we desperately need is the sin that makes us so desperately need it. Nothing we do to contribute. So we have no room to boast and say we're better, wiser, or smarter than others. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Another point about boasting. Boasting is unloving toward others. We see this in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, which is a chapter about love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Paul knows that our default position is we love to talk about ourselves, about how great we are. But when we do that, it can become across rather unloving to other people. Now let's talk about social media. Social media, by nature, is a platform for us to talk about ourselves, our accomplishments, and how great our lives are to a whole bunch of other people. It's an opportunity for us to boast. I'm not saying that social media and all of it is necessarily wrong, but you and I know social media is by nature of the way it's built. It is self-centered, and we can come across rather unloving to other people in our posts. You know what it's like in January? when you're shoveling through a six-foot snowdrift and your shovel breaks. Yeah, you wouldn't know. Yeah. But your shovel breaks 
And then you check your Facebook feed when you go in, and there's your friend posting from the Caribbean, complaining about the fact that they are running short on sunscreen as they're posting pictures of their tan lines. And they're, in some ways, that can be unloving to other people. I mean, at least give God some credit in the post. At least give God credit for the good weather. Otherwise, it's all about, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at my great life that you do not have. You see how it's boasting? One of the things that Cindy and I have wrestled with We've been very blessed with our daughter. She has some good athletic skills, and she does well in track. And some of you have seen some of those posts on our social media feed, how well she's done. We've begun to wrestle. How do you post about this without coming across in an egocentric or boastful way? So when we try to repost some of those things, we're thinking we have to put in there, you know, thanking God for you know, this good gift or praying that God will continue to give you success. Do something to take that opportunity to give God the credit for the good things that we get to experience rather than give ourselves the credit. Otherwise, that's boasting and it comes from a prideful heart rather than a humble one. By the way, the Bible, even though it talks against boasting very clearly, it does say there is something we should boast about. We should be boasting about not ourselves, we should be boasting about and speaking about Jesus and what he has done for us. Folks, I don't know what you have done. I don't know how you have sinned. I don't know how many times you've told God, I'm going to turn away from that, and you've gone right back to that. I don't know how bad it is, but I do know that Jesus has forgiven all of it. Every last bit of it through his blood shed on that cross. That is something to boast about. I also know that I don't know who you were. I don't know what you've done. But when you came to Jesus, the Bible says that he has literally made you into a new creation. You are an absolutely new person. The old is gone, the Bible says. The new has come. God does not look at you hanging your history of your past over your head. That's something to boast about. The Bible also says in Ephesians that you are now, because of Jesus Christ, the most blessed beings in the entire universe as adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That, my friends, is something to talk about. That is something to boast about. Not about us and how good we are, but how good Jesus is. Amen? Look what the Bible says. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then in Jeremiah chapter 9, thus says the Lord, let the wise man not boast in his wisdom. Oh, look how smart I am. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Oh, look how much money I have. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. 
God delights when you boast about him and what he has done for us. 2 Corinthians 10, 7, let no one who boasts, or let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This week, we're in a world where everyone's going to be talking about themselves. Everyone's going to be posting on social media about themselves and all the wonderful things they did. I want you to be different. Post on social media. That's okay. But use that as an opportunity to give God the credit for every good things you experienced with family, fun, weather, the lake. Turn everything back to give glory to him, not to yourself. Amen? That brings us to flattery. What does the Bible say about flattery? Flattery is using compliments to manipulate people to our advantage. A compliment is you see somebody doing well, see something, things going well. You just say, hey, I appreciate that. I want to encourage you. No strings attached. Flattery is doing that, but you're doing that because you're going to manipulate that person, trying to get them to do something for you. Let me give you a better understanding of that. Why do we flatter? We flatter to get attention. Some people are rather insecure. So what they will do is they will go around to other people in public and they'll see things that they're doing and they'll compliment them. They're complimenting them, not necessarily because they're giving a genuine compliment, but they're complimenting them so they can get the attention back from the compliment. Oh, you did a great job teaching that Sunday school class. Oh, thank you for, <laughs> for appreciating me. Thank you. Or, hey, that was really pushing that hard in that workout. Oh, yeah, thank you for taking an interest in me. Maybe a better way to think about this same idea is the second point. We flatter to solicit compliments. Women do this sometimes when they get a new dress. They get the new dress, they look in the mirror, they think, oh, I think I look good. But they're not going to go out to their girlfriends and say, would you tell me I look good? What they're going to do is they're going to go out to their girlfriends, they're going to go, oh, I love your dress. It looks so nice on you. And then what does the lady do? Oh, my dress looks good, but yours looks just amazing. And she goes, thank you. Well, she's flattering somebody. Not because she generally cares about the other lady's dress, but she wants the other lady to compliment her and her dress. You see how it's like two-pronged? It's not a genuine compliment. We can flatter to seduce someone. This is probably the most common form of flattery, where you have a guy in the office who says to a lady, yeah, I think you do a really good work. I, I, I really appreciate you. I like the way you dress. I like the way you look. I think it's, you're just the right person for the job. You, know, you realize those compliments may be true, but there's a subtle double meaning there. What's he trying to do? Move her closer to him. He's trying to manipulate. Interesting, people have discovered that flattering is so powerful to manipulate people, they use flattering and advertising to try and sell things now. Maybe you've seen this. You know, only those with the best set of fashion wear these brand pants. Ever seen that? Or only those with a true sense of luxury drive this brand of car. That's flattery. 
Here's a funny one. There's a beer company in Belgium that tries to use flattery to sell their, their beer. And so they put this on the outside of the beer bottle. You're holding a great beer and you have wonderful friends. There it is. Yeah. So, oh, I have wonderful friends. Yeah, it tells me that. That's why I bought the beer. It's all about flattery. Here's another reason that we flatter. We flatter to gain respect. In a sense, we microwave it rather than try to earn it. I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I can still remember the sermon. I, I preached the sermon, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and he said, that was a really good sermon, Pastor. Pastors like to hear that. And he says, I just moved in the area. We're trying to find a church. I think I found the right church. Uh, here's my phone number. Can I meet with you this week? I'm like, sure, okay, if you really want to. Then I check on Facebook. It's this nice little write-up about the sermon, the church. Yeah, it's a great church. So I give him a call. Doesn't answer it. Give him a call. Doesn't answer it. Give him a call. Doesn't answer like, Won't answer his phone. I'm like, what's wrong? I got the wrong number here. Well, I found out he actually went to another church after that, which is fine. Uh, met somebody there he liked and moved to that other church, which is fine. I'm okay with that. But as soon as he wanted me, he was filled with compliments. As soon as he didn't need me, he dropped me like a hot potato. That's flattery. He's trying to microwave my respect rather than to take the hard work to earn my respect. Let me show you what the Bible says about flattery here. Here's a couple of verses. Uh, Psalm 12, 2 through 4. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts, who says, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us, who is master over us. Flattery is a form of lying. I like the way it says here, it comes from a double heart, not a pure heart. Or Psalm 5, verse 9. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. That particular word for flattery means using slick speech, oily words, greasing the skids to get something done. As I was reading that verse, what came to mind was one of my best friends at college. He got married, and he and his wife were in a little bit of a rough spot in their relationship. She got on some social media feeds, and somebody connected with her, and that person began to say all kinds of flattering words. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, yeah, I miss you. Oh, I wish I had met you early. All these kind of flattering words. And she's going through a little rough spot in her marriage. You know what happened, don't you? She left her husband for the flattering man. Slick words to ruin a marriage. Here's another one. Proverbs 29, verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. When you have that sense that somebody is taking an inordinate interest in you, they're sort of overly sticky sweet to you. It's not, they're trying to compliment you, 
but chances are they're trying to flatter you, which means they're trying to set a trap for you. Uh, think about this, we hear these kind of things where somebody meets somebody online overseas, and oh, you're so wonderful, oh, you're so great, and then it soon becomes, can you send me money? <laughs> and then it's there, oh, I want to be your, your spouse. And once they get over to the United States, they're like, thank you for the green card, bye-bye. All flattering words. Well, the Bible speaks very clearly against flattery, which is having two points, like selfish points, like, hey, I'm going to compliment you, so you compliment me. When it speaks against that, it does tell us, though, that we should still compliment people. This doesn't mean we should be afraid to encourage people. The Bible says this, we are to encourage people with genuine words, not flattering ones. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. When you speak a compliment, just speak a genuine compliment. When you speak encouragement, speak genuine encouragement and give lots of it. Just don't say those words trying to manipulate people to serve you. A little bit of time left. Let me look at the last one. What does the Bible say about exaggeration? Exaggeration is stretching the details of a story to make it more sensational. Politicians do it. Fishermen always do it. And yes, you and I do it. Why do we exaggerate? We exaggerate to make our lives look better. Isn't that true? We're in a conversation with people. We're telling them the honest truth and they're bored with us. So we start to stretch the truths or engage with us. But the problem is, we're no longer telling the truth, are we? We're lying because we have a big ego trying to make our lives look better. Here's another one. We exaggerate to threaten when we get angry. I'm sure as a parent, you've never done this, but your kids get under your skin and you say to them, you're going to be grounded for a month. And then about an hour later, you're grounded for two hours because we're angry, so we want to appear bigger and nastier than we actually are. The problem is we're not telling the truth. Exaggeration makes us into liars whose words cannot be trusted. That's the last point. Exaggeration is a form of lying. It erodes trust. There's a friend I met at the YMCA who works out with me in our sort of CrossFit-ish kind of workout and he's having a house built, and he had these contractors that promised they would do this amount of work, they do it in this time, they do it for this money, how well do you think that's working out? Longer time, more money, and he says, here's the problem, I can't believe anything they say anymore. I can't trust them anymore because they exaggerate it. And that's not just true for contractors, but it's true for you and me. So the Bible says, that out of the pride of our heart, out of our overinflated egos, three things start to come out of our mouth. Number one is boasting. We start focusing on ourselves and our accomplishments. But the problem is, life is not about us. It's about Jesus. Because anything we do in this life is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for us in this life. The other thing is, 
when we start to boast is we start to speak about the future and we leave God out of the equation, acting as if we're in charge of the future when God is the one who holds the future in his hands. And sometimes we can be, we can be boasting when we take credit for the successes in our life. The truth is any good thing in our life comes as a gift from God's hand and we need to give him the credit rather than ourselves. Other things that come out of a proud heart is flattery, which is giving compliments with a double motive reason, and exaggeration, which is not telling the truth, but exaggerating good things and exaggerating our anger, when we should simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. And how is the only way to change boasting, flattery, and exaggeration in our words is that Jesus is the one who can deflate our prideful heart and make us into humble men and women. And we only have that happen in our lives when we open our finger, put it in this book, see our sin, see our Savior, and trust in him. Amen? Heavenly Father, we want to confess that we are guilty. We're guilty of often boasting in subtle ways, sometimes in not so subtle ways. We're guilty of giving ourselves credit for success rather than you deserving credit for all the success. Please forgive us for that. We see our sin. We want to repent of our sin. and We want to run to you, Jesus. We want to admit that sometimes we've spoken words in a flattering way. It's really, truly manipulative and self-centered. Forgive us for that. And oh, we exaggerate. We exaggerate oh so often when we should simply speak the truth and nothing more, like humble hearts truly do. This week, I pray that you would change our words. And when we're on social media, may we be people who speak on social media, but we give you the credit for the joys that we share rather than taking the credit for ourselves. And all God's people said, Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.